Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Brought to you by Coordination.com, a legacy member of the Jittery Monkey podcast family, proudly associated with the SB Nation podcast network. My name is Greg Mahachko, and for the first half of this show, I'm joined by both legs of the tripod, Hoss Reuter, John Dam Johnston. Gentlemen, it just, you know, lickety split. It was here, it was gone, football season is over, and every... like a fart in the wind. Every year it's like this, where there's so much anticipation. It's like Christmas morning at the end of August, and then Boxing Day at the end of November. Uh, and, and then it's another long year. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be for the fifth year in a row, it's going to be another damn long offseason. I know. All right, that was a great show. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> the Five Heart Podcast. Wow, <laughs> that was well done. Hey, okay, you know what? It it doesn't have to be this way. You could just start watching Husker basketball. I mean, we we played Georgia Tech. We missed every layup possible. We missed every three point shot possible. We missed over fifty percent of our free throws. There's no expectations with that team. There's no like saying, wow, I'm really disappointed because the 17 year old French kid that plays with this who won't turn 18 till March didn't play that well. You know what I mean? And then you could go right into baseball season and say, well, it's Will Bolt's new, brand new, fresh new start. What are we going to do this year? And he's well, starting of those right. What? Neither of those are football. There's the answer uh, to your they question. Not. They're not, but you know what? You can't go through life going to Burger King and eating the number one every fucking day of your life, can you? I, I <laughs> that'd be horrible. But here's the thing: I'm a, I'm with Haas. It's you just avoid taste. Burger King at all costs. Yeah, it's different tastes. Like I don't watch baseball because I don't like baseball. Uh, basketball, I'm all right with. I kind of like it, but it's not enough to capture my interest. You know. Football is football. Hoss, can I can I get your uh, input from a yeah. from an outside observer, much like myself? Greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Oh, why LeBron James? See, I I would refute that till the end of my days. Nate McHugh, one of uh, the the three-man weave, I think they're calling themselves, over on Of Bangarangs and Daggers, which, by the way, they're recording their week's podcast as we speak, and they're disappointed that I'm not on there monitoring the levels and sending them messages. Uh, anyway, uh, Nate always says LeBron. I always say Jordan because that's you know the era of which I grew up. Um, so this I, is I, Will Chamberlain. Well... <laughs> I mean, Wilt the still had had the the third leg and uh, and and gave it to the ladies all the time. Wow! Wilt didn't need blue chew. Hey, we don't have to be family that, friendly. There's, that is true. That I guess that is true. There's no there's no Thanksgiving this week. We can be we can be blue if we want to. Let's uh, you know what? Let's go back a bit. I don't like baseball actually either, but I do like college baseball, and I like it because the season ends in June. And it doesn't go into football season like that other major league shit that plays way too long and is way too boring. It's way too shitty. So, but I like Husker baseball just because, you know what? I'm a Husker. Okay. There you go. What's you, isn't it, that's an important aspect to bring up because it's, it shouldn't, it, it should be a surprise, it doesn't, in 2019, that there are a lot of... You know, I mean, we always make fun of Jaskers, uh, and rightfully so. But to have, like... Th- there's not a, a great way to say this. Dukeskers, you know, like people who are Husker oh, basketball fans, 
but cheer for Duke uh, or North yes, Carolina or Kansas. I mean, it's it's an epidemic. Look, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're a Nebraska fan across the board. And yes, I'm judging from afar behind my keyboard. I'm judging you. Be a Husker fan or don't. Can we put a moratorium on this game so I don't have to think about it ever again? I, you know what? I, I walked into the Big Ten wrestling tournament last year. What was the last March, last February? And Mark Manning, Nebraska wrestling coach, is standing next to uh, the Sid, our Sid, and he's getting all of the rundown on what happened in every Husker sport the day before. And I'm standing there looking at both of them, and Mark Manning turns and looks at me, and he he just has this big grin on his face, and he turns and he looks at me and he goes, "Hey man, I'm a Husker." And I thought that guy, I love Mark Manning. He's he's interesting. Yes, we can put a moratorium on it. I'm not in charge. No, 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 not on this topic. I was talking about the game, the Nebraska Iowa game. Like, let's talk about it and put a moratorium on it. Oh, yes. let's. Oh, you mean get get it done, get it going? Yeah, let's just. You know, there's no using into a street fight. We're going to uh, rip the bandaid kind of off. Like doing a monologue before you kill the villain and give him a chance to get away. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, but this was a nice anticipatory set for the lesson. I actually want to get back to uh, the Mark Manning thing after we talk about the game. I'm going to note okay, that so, well, so that we Iowa. can uh, uh, dive back. Greg, I'm sure you have a prepared list of questions. No, um, I I do. All right, I that's do. it, folks. Here's I do. It was cold. I have, was I have a list of questions. I mean, right. my, 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 mine's not so much a list of questions uh, or as, uh, some people would say a litany of questions. Mine is just an overall a litany of sadness that, and, and yes. the, the dumbfoundedness as to how as, as Doing sharp negative yardage plays. Well, that I want to, I want to discuss the defensive side of the ball because at times the defense looked ready to go. Oh, and, yeah. and at other times, they were giving up 60-yard runs to people who never ran more than, like, 13 yards. And, <laughs> and I mean, you if you take – hey, look, it, in all seriousness, if you take away the big plays, Nebraska yeah. wins by two touchdowns. You know, you and take – You know, I, some people always hate when, you know, you bring – someone brings that up after a game, like, if this doesn't happen, and people always say, like, yeah, if my head ball should be my uncle. But it's true. Like, if a play gets made, you know, I don't want to draw upon, you know, a cliche too much, but Al Pacino and um, any given Sunday, life's a game of inches, so is football. I mean, just the little things are what breaks the camel's back into the and culminates into those huge runs. Um, yeah, I mean, if those don't happen, our defense is in control for most of that game. I really think so. And- they were chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. We started to get out of position um, on their first couple of drives. They hit this, you know, the reverse to Marset, um, the kickoff return. We've had that same weakness all year long on the left side or on the weak side away from where we're trying to kick the ball. Um, in coverage, the last two plays, the throws to Laporta and Regani, uh, just the little things. And look, Offensively, I, too. I want to say this. I think, look, I don't. Nebraska had a lot of calls go their way, especially on Iowa's last drive. Uh, you know, at that point, I was thinking, may luck be a lady. Yeah, because they, they should, I mean, they could have easily called the targeting with the ejection. And uh, what was, I'm trying to think of what the other the one was. Complete pass. Yeah. Yes. Thank that you. That looked pretty complete. Right. Um, you know, retro, at the time, I was rationalizing anything I could of why it should be incomplete. But as time's gone on, I think yeah, that that might have been complete. Now that being said, the the one call that hurt Nebraska the most was that alleged block in the back on Mike Williams. Mm, such um, a bullshit penalty. Right. 
And and look, I get the intent of the rule. I really do because blindside, crackback blocks on broken field runs are dangerous. Those are dangerous situations. But that call being made on that play is not in the spirit of the rule. It is merely in the you know letter of the rule. It's not. I mean, look, Especially at that point in the game. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's not. If you look at the contact that was there versus, you know, like the contact that was made on against the Husker that they they you know created the rule, uh, you know the the reason they created the rule, the Kenny Bell hit, two completely different situations and and types of contact. And I thought Mike Williams hands up. He I almost I thought he was going like you know side to back or or you know yeah. trying to avoid. Trying to make the block. You call that the airplane block. Yeah. You throw your arms out. You know, you're not you're not forcefully launching yourself at the opponent when your arms are out like you're doing the airplane. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to shield. And, you know, they got to take into account that the momentum of the player as he's tra- – the defender as he's trying to track the play, he, he even glances off Mike Williams. There's going to be, you know, an equal and opposite reaction, if, you know. We're going to go off of physics. I mean, it, at that point in the game, I thought that was a ludicrous call. I thought that killed an opportunity to either, one, flip the field, or two, get into position to kick a field goal in regulation. And Luke McCaffrey was in on that drive, and I think he probably should have stayed in for the entire game after throwing that touchdown pass, but I'm sure we'll cover that. Later. Well, we don't have to cover it later. I want to cover it right now because yeah. you want my opinion on the matter. Well, I I want to set the stage. I mean, look, Husker fans, you know they they they've seen the stage, they're familiar with the stage. But I just want to bring up when you look at what they did on the road at Maryland. You know, running the option as successfully they did uh, mm-hmm. the trick play where uh, McCaffrey passed out of the option. You know, things like that, and they didn't do any of that against Iowa and they didn't they didn't show that look they didn't give Iowa anything to think about because McCaffrey wasn't in there long I mean he he had he made the most of his opportunity uh beyond the most I mean I, for a true freshman coming in who you know is how, how tall is he 6'2 something like that 6'2 about they have him listed at 205 well, that's a lie that's pretty generous. I think he's about a buck 80 yeah uh, like, no, the they, they strapped a couple car batteries to him when they waited. <laughs> like they did the old Frank Solich method with yeah. some weights in his sweatpants. Uh, but but what uh, what I wanted to say about that is, you know, we're struggling to find a spark. McCaffrey comes in, he throws a touchdown, uh, he throws a touchdown pass to J.D. Spielman on a little RPO we've been running all year, um, just a quarterback sweep where they're reading the outside linebacker and the safety for the wheel route or the post route. And, um, you know, it, it works because McCaffrey showed the patience necessary to let that wheel route set up. Iowa had to honor McCaffrey's wheels. And I think after that, with how Adrian was struggling, because Adrian only threw for 50 yards the entire game and ran for another 44. I think that it would have probably been in our better interest to go with Luke McCaffrey and, run option, power read, zone read, um, quarterback dart, a lot of the sprint out stuff, RPOs. McCaffrey's been great at throwing screens with having the timing to let him set up, like against Indiana. I think if we would have brought in McCaffrey to finish out that game and forced Iowa to defend option football, forcing them to be disciplined, assignment sound, and gap sound, I think that we could have won, honestly, something like 31-24 or 34-24. Because when you run an option, you're taking away an ultra-aggressive player like A.J. Epinesa from teeing off on a spooked quarterback. Right. Um, Why do you think they didn't leave him in there? I think, I, you know, without <laughs> being in the meeting room, you know, or being in North Stadium on a daily basis, I really don't know. I kind of feel like it was um, – not wanting to change horses midstream, so to speak, to borrow a lyric from Dan Fogelberg. And um, I also think that there might be some egos on this team. Uh, it was pointed out on message boards and Twitter everywhere. Um, 
Martinez didn't exactly have the greatest body language after McCaffrey came in and threw that touchdown pass. Um, later in the game, Martinez ducked out of the way of a helmet slap, you know, a congratulatory helmet slap after they were coming off the field after Wyatt Missouri ran in the touchdown to tie the game at 24. So there might be some, you know, some personal factors at play. It might be some game plan factors. Um, it, it could just be, you know, not wanting to make a change. Is it me? You know, while we're talking about this, the entire team, like the entire offensive unit, seemed to respond, perform better. Have a, it had a, a, a distinct and different and better energy when McCaffrey was on the field. I agree. It, I felt that way since Indiana, to tell you the truth. Is it because? Is it, is it? And look, I'm not. Look, I'm not trying to. You know, like. You're not trying to assassinate Adrian Martinez's character. I'm not trying. I'm not either. I'm not trying to. He seems like a solid kid, solid citizen. He is a solid football player. What he showed last year, this year he was banged up at a sophomore slump. You know, it shit happens. It's nothing personal. But I, you know, to preface that, like you were saying, goes a long way. And I don't know. I mean, like I'm not shitting on Martinez. Like you said, for all all the reasons you you just gave, and then some. Uh, but there, I feel like there shouldn't be as much loyalty, you know, to one player when this kind of season's on the line. You go back a few years. I want to say that it was, and I'm not even going to attempt his last name, but you know, in the national championship game, Viola. Yeah, when Saban goes with him, cold, off the bench, when the game is on the line. And that's much higher stakes than, you know, Black Friday against Iowa. No offense to, you know, anybody who thinks that, you know, anyway, it, it is. It's it's bigger stakes. You, you've got to, I, I don't know, I, I just feel like, I don't know if loyalty is the right word or, you know, everything, all the reasons that you just mentioned about not trying to, you know, change horses midstream. Um, I, I feel like when when everybody came out and, and they were, you know, having that energy about being on the field with McCaffrey and they were responding and being efficient and productive, I think you got to. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How many plays did Luke McCaffrey actually run? All year? No, this game. I can he find out. He came in for a series for about three. He had the touchdown pass off the RPO for – he had the uh, – we ran the same play on the Mike Williams penalty, so five. Right. So this is a really small sample size to say it's that they – Small sample size, but the, the concepts that are used with McCaffrey in and – how that forces a defensive reaction and they have to adjust out of just teeing off on the quarterback and playing quarters coverage, that changes Iowa's entire defensive game plan. Yes, I, mean, it does. I wasn't I enamored with Frost's that. game plan to begin with. That's different Frost- than speculating that the team treats him differently than Adrian Martinez. Well, I, you know, Greg and I are just kind of speculating, which is the correct word for it, about the reaction. You know, they're... It, it was kind of telling, you know. You can tell a lot from body language. I want to. Uh, I, I'm looking at a few stats, some season stats. Uh, McCaffrey played in four games, had 24 rushing attempts for 166 yards. None of those, you know, not at no time did he get uh, caught behind the line of scrimmage. So zero rushes for a, a loss. Uh, had. Four games, you know, uh, nine completions, 12 attempts on the season, uh, quarterback rating of 229. Again, limited sample size when you look at Martinez, who had, you know, 149 out of 251. You know, so I get it. Um, but there's just something about, you know, take, take away the limited, you know, sample size. There's something about the way the team seemed to play – 
when McCaffrey was on the field. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, you know what? It, maybe it was just a matter of, all right, hey, we got, we got to work a little harder for the true freshman. I don't know what it was, but if anything else, they look, he's in game four of his red shirt season. And, and so, you know, that was only game four. So that means he, he still technically didn't burn his red shirt, but you bring him in a little bit more frequently in the game. You know, don't just run him in for half a dozen plays. And when he, they said they, they said he had a package for him and they ran it and that was, that was the deal. Well, Okay, yeah. then make that, another package for him because it worked. We need, to adjust, we need to adjust our entire game plan after the first two drives. We really did. Um, it, the, what we were running the first two drives was not a case of, oh, a block here, getting a helmet to this shoulder here on the block, uh, clean this up, and we're going to be fine. We were getting just we, – we were being slammed into reverse on our first couple of offensive drives. The arrow screen, the tight end swing pass, you know, that we like to run as an RPO. I like the play. I like the overall construct of the play. I like what it's supposed to do. But when Iowa is not playing man coverage, meaning, you know, they're not having linebackers, you know, reading keys and they're not having, you know, safeties running an alley and corners manned up with the receivers and everything is even. You know, and you get that numbers advantage with the screen pulling a player out of the box. Uh, and then your offensive line is just getting beat at the point of attack you know, against the run, and you can't hold a block on the perimeter. Crap. Instead, we were running that almost on every first down in the first half, and we were accruing some pretty serious yardage losses that killed drives before they were able to get a chance to begin. I thought that we had the personnel up front on the offensive line and with Dedrick Mills in the backfield to line up and run outside zone on Iowa, just like we did to Wisconsin. And I, I honestly felt like that's what the game plan should have been from the start. Instead, we tried to put the ball in the air a little bit too much. We tried to force some passes to the perimeter and over the middle. And we were doing so against a really good defense as a pretty damn good pass rush. We should have from the start, done things to negate Iowa's pass rush. Going back to those swing why passes. Do you think, wait, 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 why do you think that is? I mean, why are there so many side-to-side passes? Well, trying to, one, from an offensive skill player standpoint, we do have the speed advantage. So we're trying to put speed in space. We're trying to get the ball out to, you know, uh, Wandale in the little bit that he was in there, Wyatt Mazur. You know, we saw we ran a few flares with him and then tried to set up the double pass off of a flare. Um, J.D. Spielman, uh, we were trying to do that to get Iowa running east-west, you know, and if a guy's a little bit slower, gets caught on a block, uh, you know, a seam opens up, and it never did. Um, and then I really think that we just wanted to try to score quickly against Iowa. Uh, you know how stodgy and, you know, monolithic, Iowa's offenses, I think that there is a maybe a consensus amongst the offensive staff of, hey, let's try to score quick using our speed, build a lead, and see if we can hold them off when they're on offense. I, I think it's important to note, you know, as going to the success or, or more importantly, lack thereof of the swing passes, uh, J.D. Spielman had three catches for 34 yards, and he had a 39-yard touchdown reception. So there you go. I I saw a tweet at halftime on Friday that it was like the first down plays that we'd run, you know, screens, swings, flares, whatever you want to call them. Um, that it was like negative four, negative six, minus three, one yard, two yards, minus five. You know, when you're at second and fourteen and you're a tempo team, you're not able to go up tempo. Yep. You got to be able to pick up some positive yards, at least four on first down get into second and six, be ahead of schedule in the down and distance, and then then you can start going tempo. And it just credit props to Frost for adjusting and this you know, coming out of the half. And he even said to the Husker Sports Network guy on the radio, you know, we're not gonna try to be as cute to start the second half. We're gonna try to go win the game. Well that should have really been the plan from the get go. But you gotta credit the guy with adjusting, even though 
it should have been the plan from the from the get go from the jump. No, I, I agree, and I saw that quote as well. And that was my that was my takeaway is it, it, the cute stuff. First of all, the, whatever you tried that was cute I, would have been you know that option pass from McCaffrey that you, you know, brought out. It, and and again, I liked that they brought it out in Maryland because I thought, oh well, if you line up in that formation, I was going to have to think about it. They're going to have to you know, respect the ability that you have of him to throw the ball. They're going to have to respect his speed. They're not going to know what to do. And then you'd never show that. That was frustrating. But that would have been the cute stuff I would have liked to have seen. That whatever nonsense they had in the first half was hot garbage. Um, you know, and then the other thing, Dedrick Mills, you know, he's get. you know, when we were running outside zone and inside zone in the second half, he's picking up three, four, five yards, you know, he's, run some defenders over in the process. Um, if you really want to neutral in a passing situation, if you really want to neutralize Epinesa, you run the direct snap uh, trap play that we ran a bunch of times this year. You know, the back steps in front of Martinez and takes a snap and follows the pulling guard on a trap play of the DT. You know, use their use Epinesa's speed and momentum against him. You know, mess with the linebacker's keys a little bit. You know, try to Whatever you gotta do, you know, just attack directly. I mean, I hate to say it, I know we were trying to take advantage of Iowa's quote unquote lack of speed by hitting them with a lot of, you know, hor- a lot of the horizontal passing game, but they were actually kind of impressive in their defensive speed that they had at the linebacker and nickel positions. And, and I got some shit for this in the slack room, but Epinesa. You know, he's from my neck of the woods. He's from here in southern Illinois. Um, he's got, like, first-round draft, you know, ability. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's a, he is a damn good player. He's one of the better defensive ends I've seen in college football in a long time. Take that, Patrick. Like, Patrick Earhart did not. I'm, I'm going to count him out or, 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 you know, throw him under the bus. He laughed when I said that. Uh, he's damn good. Oh, uh, that Christian Welch, number thirty-four, Iowa's linebacker. He was really good. Geno Stone, their nickelback, number nine. You know he's great in coverage and he can really come downhill against the run. Um, that guy's going to make himself a lot of money in the NFL as well. So let's talk a little bit on the defensive side. We we mentioned it, uh, or you know we we talked a little bit about the defense and trying to give them the credit, you know, that that they were due because again, aside from a few, you know, breakdowns, they did I think a, a respectable job. And of course the big play was the pick six by Cam Taylor Britt, who, mm-hmm. you know, that only two interceptions returned for a touchdown. They happened to bookend the season, the first one in the first game against South Alabama, the the second one in the last game against Iowa. Um Taylor Britt, he's a he, he's a baller. I'm excited that we're going to get him a couple. Well, at least one more year. Reminds me, of, reminds me a little bit of Mike Brown from Nebraska, who played for the Chicago Bears. But, but when we look at the defense as a whole, I mean, what was it about the big plays? Was it is it Jimmy's and Joe's, or was it no guys didn't do their jobs? Well, John, John is, John is spot on. Um, we just weren't filling gaps in the first half. Uh, we had guys who were getting turned, you know, they were getting hooked on Iowa's zone blocks away from the point of attack, not able to secure their gap. Sometimes they'd get overzealous and trying to hold, you know, maintain gap integrity and a cutback lane would open up back inside, you know, against a back like Goodson. That Tyler Goodson, who has good vision and pretty good speed, um, he's going to make you pay. Uh, there, Caleb Tanner was, you know, he didn't maintain outside leverage, outside contain against the reverse to Marset. Uh, Garrett Nelson didn't maintain the uh, backside, you know, contain against, I think it was Goodson's long run. But after that, guys settled in and they really held their gaps. 
came downhill, built a wall against outside and inside zone, which is what you have to do to defend the flag, just get bodies into gaps and defeat blockers. And those guys did a nice job of adjusting, you know, and Shenander trotted out a five-man front against Iowa and really tried to keep bodies in the box because Iowa's not going to, you know, they're going to line up and they're going to do what they want to do. And they're not going to really adjust to what you're doing. They're going to try in vain to get what they want to do. Well. So, yeah, the defensive side played a very inspiring game. They they really right. played the balls off. If we had a pass rusher, we could have forced overtime because we would have been able to get pressure on uh, Stanley on that last drive. Even on the kickoff return, I mean, the number one thing you're taught as a kickoff return guy is to stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. That you have We've had that issue going back going to the, down the field. When you're going down the field, you have a lane you stay in. And we, if you watch that return, what's our guy on the outside do? He comes inside. Mm-hmm. And it's just really basic football like that that they didn't do. It's Cam, dumb. Cam Taylor. I mean, we were just talking about Cam Taylor. He's going to be a great, great player for us. But he's had those issues on kick returns multiple times times this season. Uh, the one against Colorado that ultimately he was able to recover and strip Chenault of the football um, against Wisconsin when they had their kickoff turn for a touchdown. Now, Iowa, you know, uh, him and Stovall are on the same side. And so it's those two guys who they're just not really staying in their lanes. And then when you couple that with the fact that we don't have a kicker to put the ball in the end zone to save our life. Every other Big Ten school's got these thunder-footed kickers and punters, and we don't have shit. That, which is, you know, the the Drew Brown, you know, for a little guy, he was he was able yeah, to, like. you know, kick it, but he wasn't he wasn't the, you know, there've been plenty of others like like you said. We it's unusual that we don't have somebody who can who can boot it deep. So hopefully, I, I don't know. Hopefully, there's something that can be addressed in the offseason. Um, anything else? That, I mean, just got to get, you know, what Frost said after last year's Iowa game that it was a bit disturbing about how much bigger and stronger Iowa's front lines were than ours. We closed some ground this year. I thought early in the game, it looked like Iowa was dominating the line of scrimmage. By the end of the game, I thought it was pretty even that, you know, we were right there with them and, you know, forcing a stalemate on the line of scrimmage. But we got to continue to get bigger, stronger, more explosive, and we've got to develop a pass rush. And honestly, the biggest key moving forward into next year is we need to have a year where we stay fucking healthy. Oh, that'd be nice. We, we We can't stay healthy to save our lives. I mean, I watch a lot of college and pro football. I don't think I've ever seen team, uh, any team have as much injury troubles as we have for probably the past, you know, five years to a decade. It is profound how many injury issues we have every year. So you're saying there's a curse. You know, it's starting to feel like T.O. might have sold his soul or sold the program's soul after we lost to Florida State in 94. <laughs> well, real quick, uh before we wrap up the football discussion, it was announced earlier this week as we record on uh, Wednesday and drop on Friday, so everything's earlier in the week. But anyway, uh, this past Wednesday, it was announced that uh, four Huskers have been recognized by the conference. Uh, J.D. Spielman was an honorable mention, all Big Ten, uh, from both the coaches and the media. Brendan Hymas. Uh, was uh, also recognized. Uh, he was. Uh, it's the second straight year that he earned honorable mention. Let's see here. Uh, Diedrich Mills was. They're all honorable mention on huh. the offense. We didn't place anybody on the top three teams. Well, that's fine. All right. That's forty-eight players, isn't it? No, there's a lot of good offensive skill talent in the Big Ten Conference this and, year. And uh, anyway, Wandale Robinson was the last one. So, well, we got some. Lamar Jackson made second team All Big Ten. He'll be a first or second round draft pick probably. Oh, he's going to make himself some money in the league. 
I thought Darian Daniels played his guts out in most of the Iowa game. In the first quarter, I thought he was just kind of like, what the hell's going on? But he was everywhere, all over the place for a guy that's that huge. Uh, uh, Khalil Davis also was a third team uh, selection right. uh, from the coaches. I was a little surprised by that. I thought, I thought too, I thought, uh, you know, if you're going to pick any of the defensive linemen, uh, you know, or, and, and don't get me wrong, two of the three defensive linemen, uh, you know, did were recognized, but I thought would have thought Darian Daniels would have been, you know, the the highest ranked. But I guess that just again goes to show the depth uh, of what there is in in the Big Ten on on the line. Uh, and you know, just for fun, uh, Ben Stilley was the Big Ten Sportsmanship Award honoree. So, yeah, I'm really surprised that Tim Jurgens didn't get an honorable mention. Um, yeah, maybe he has if they at the beginning of the season, but man, he he is. He's playing a high level of football by the end of the year. Nobody recognizes offensive linemen in their first year. You know, and they that don't. Is true. It's a it's a seniority based position. It is. The only way you win the Outland Trophy, the only way you win the Outland Trophy or something like that as an offensive lineman is to become an honorable mention as at least as a French freshman sophomore, make all Big Ten or all conference first or second team in your next year and then the year after that you're on everybody's radar otherwise because media guys a they don't talk to linemen b they don't understand linemen c linemen are giant enormous human beings that probably terrify tiny little media guys to every <laughs> <That's incident. about laughs> yeah no but regardless we've got ourselves a damn good center for the next three years i'm a, a damn good center I, I like that change of attitude because nobody was saying that after the Colorado game. So uh, I tried. I tried to tell people it was just people didn't want to listen. I wanted to listen by God. That's why I like to play. Thank you. Um. So that'll be it for this portion of the Five Heart Podcast, and we're going to say farewell to Hoss. And when we come back, we're going to be uh, talking some Nebraska volleyball with uh, our very own uh, Beth Merrigan. So be sticking around for that that's coming up in just a few moments here on the five heart podcast on the coronation radio network welcome back to the five heart podcast greg mahachko john dam johnston and joining us to talk about the most successful nebraska athletic program at the present moment beth merrigan beth welcome back to the five heart podcast how are you yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk volleyball. Well, yeah, because as I mentioned, they're the only team pulling their weight. They're having a great season, and they, they always have great seasons. So, yes, pulling their weight is the way to say it. I, I, I need to amend that, because it was just announced earlier this week that the Nebraska bowling team has been voted third place in the latest National 10-Pin Coaches Association poll released Wednesday. So uh, Brian would want us to mention that. That's for you, Brian. I know you're smiling now, and then you're swearing because that's what you do, Brian. Uh, so uh, volleyball, uh, it is time for – can you believe it's already time for the volleyball postseason? You know, it has been a long season, though. It's been um, months and months of volleyball, but, yeah, it's December. And so all these teams have traveled to their first site, and they're ready to play, and I'm ready to watch them. And with this uh, episode, of course, dropping Friday, we can officially say that uh, later today or tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, December 6th, is the uh, Huskers uh, NCAA tournament opener against Ball State, and that is going to be at 7 o'clock. Nebraska, Beth, making their 38th straight NCAA tournament uh, in the number five seed overall. When the bracket was announced, what was your initial reaction to where the ladies uh, were were ranked or, or where they were seated? I'm going to show my cards here a little bit. I was surprised they were the number five. I thought Nebraska would be six, seven, or eight. Um and I think Pittsburgh fans thought they would be at least the five, if not the four. Um, anyway, so I thought Nebraska would be uh, below Pittsburgh, who is um, 29 and one, had a really fantastic season. 
beat a lot of very good teams, but they don't play in a very strong conference for volleyball. So um, I thought Nebraska would be a little lower. And, um, you know, I know it's an honor to get a high seed, but that high seed obviously played into where they are in the bracket, the four and the five. Um, Wisconsin and Nebraska are in that same part of the bracket together. Well, let's talk about that because, as you mentioned, Pittsburgh is it, obviously in a weaker volleyball conference. There's no stronger conference in, in college volleyball than the Big Ten. You have Wisconsin is seated number four. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get all of these necessarily in numerical order, just going down the left side of the bracket. But Big Ten teams, uh, you have Purdue, you have Michigan, obviously Nebraska, uh, is in there. We mentioned uh, Wisconsin, and those two teams, you know, potentially are on a collision course uh, in the uh, Elite Eight. Then you look at the other side of the bracket, and uh, you have uh, Minnesota is, uh, you know, they're a number seven seed, which I don't know. You could say that that that's maybe a little bit low. You have Illinois, Penn State, uh, rightfully, you know, they're they're the Nebraska of the East, you know. Um, there's no better conference in college volleyball than the Big Ten. That's true. You know, um, two or three years ago, the Pac-12 would have had a debate. They would have had some valid points of they are an equal or greater. And um, the fans of the Pac-12, or um, yeah, the Pac-12 could have debated us. But it's not so really. They've got top teams. Obviously, Stanford is a top team. Uh, they have consistently good teams, but um, yes, I think pretty undisputedly, maybe a few crazies out there will st- still fight us for that top conference. Um, obviously, the Big 12 um, thinks they had a pretty great year, getting the one and the two seed, Baylor in Texas, is great. What's up with it's, that? That's phenomenal. Um, and that's that's really not debated. I don't think anybody is crying foul there. The ter- tournament committee... They got that right. They were number one RPI and coaches polls uh, one and two. So that's what they're in the tournament. Nobody's fighting that. Well, I am. I am because I hate (laughs) Texas and I hate Baylor. So screw them both. Well, any good Nebraska fan is right there with you. But if we start laying down facts and not emotions. (laughs) Don't do that. You go back to the bracket, Greg. Minnesota is on a collision course with Creighton. Well, good. I hope that they destroy each other. Yeah, Creighton. I almost almost am am tempted to cheer for Creighton because if they get – it's Creighton, Iowa State, isn't it? It It is. It is, the first round. So that should be fairly tough. That'll be a tough match. I do think Creighton will win. I, I've been looking at both of their schedules, and Iowa State is a solid program, but I think Creighton will beat them. You know, they were in the top ten for, you know, half the season, and they, Creighton's a good team. I got to watch them in person at the home opener in the Devaney Center, and they're a really solid team with some, you know, strength of players. But um, I, I don't think they can beat Minnesota. I hope they have a great game against them. I think they got um, underrated in the bracket and maybe should have been considered a little higher than they were, but um, I don't think they can beat Minnesota. Minnesota is is great. So the big talk this year was there's there where there is way more parity in college volleyball than there's ever been. I agree with that. Um, you know, volleyball has a lot of history, a lot of teams that are just dynasties in it. And that the number one seed is Baylor, who there's been 39 volleyball tournaments ever, NCAA, and Baylor's been in seven of them compared to, you know, 38 for Nebraska and 39 for Penn State and 39 for these big volleyball schools. And so the number one seed has been in seven of these NCAA tournaments. Um, Pittsburgh, a relatively unknown until about five years ago volleyball school, um, is the number six and arguably could have been higher, should have been higher. Um, you know, BYU has made its statement in the last, I'd say, 10 years and become a habitual volleyball powerhouse school. So um, I think we are seeing it spread out. And um, this is another shift. Years ago, it shifted from only West Coast schools were good at volleyball, and then the Midwest became good at volleyball. And now we're seeing this next sort of movement of 
other schools that can make a program. I just want to say, and then two big things. Two big things happened in the Big Ten this week. Ohio State and Rutgers did not renew their coaches' contracts. Did you know that? I um I heard it and I didn't expect it. I wasn't following either of those programs, if I'm honest. Um, but I didn't. I wasn't surprised. Um, I think Ohio State's only thing going on was their win against Wisconsin this year, which is amazing. Not many people can beat that team, but uh, otherwise they seem like they had a really disappointing year with a squad that didn't have to be disappointing. There was plenty of talent on it. Um, so in retrospect, oh yeah, you know, a school that prides itself on being um, elite in all sorts of ways. Yeah, I can see how I, Ohio State is um, dissatisfied. Um, and Rutgers hadn't made a change at the head coaching spot since they came into the Big Ten. So, you know, both, perhaps- both of those coaches, both of those coaches have been in their position for twelve years. Yeah, yeah, maybe just they said it's got to change. We got to have different players coming in to be competitive. And Rutgers was not competitive. They were two and eighteen in the Big Ten. That's not competitive. That's that's not anything. That's, that's well, time for coach, cool. apparently. <laughs> Well, Beth, let's talk a little bit about how Nebraska got to that number five overall seed, twenty-five and four on the season. As you mentioned, you were there. Uh, you know, you got to see them take on Creighton. Uh, were you also? Did you also make the trip over for when they took on Stanford? Yes, that's what I thought. I did. Yes, uh, and because we got to remind our listeners that it's not like you're, you know, in Gretna uh, or you know, Nebraska City, but you're all the way out in God's country. However, not God's time zone. we got to specify. God's time zone, we all know, is the central time zone. And you are well to the west of that. Uh, but uh, just, I mean, your personal experiences watching the Huskers, you know, this season, it, it's it's unreal at the Devaney, is it not? It's amazing. I've tried to describe to my family who's never been, but loves volleyball, you know, loves and appreciates volleyball, that this is like nothing you've ever seen before. I went to a, when Nebraska came to Michigan State and they play in a a neat old field house and my mom went to Michigan State, so she remembers it. Um, And it's a nice, it's a nice place to play, but the Devaney Center is like nothing that my family has ever experienced and uh, I'll show them videos of when they turn the lights off and everybody's got their cell phone program going and it, you know, just the beat gets you ready to jump on the court and you want coach to put you in. Um, it's a neat place to play and um, fans that appreciate just what you're doing. You know, the other night, Lauren Stiverens dug a ball out of the net and that's a skill. That's a skill that you practice but not many middle blockers can do that. And they gave her a standing ovation for it. And of course they did. She did a great job, but those fans knew she did a great job. So like nothing else, and it's not just because they're loud, it's because they understand. That's the difference. They have... They're a cult. They are a cult. <laughs> a healthy cult. Okay. The, uh, the one team that they've had some issues with is the team that, you know, we mentioned they're kind of on a, a little bit of a collision course uh, in in the postseason here in the tournament, and that's Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has had their number both meetings. Uh, you know, that both times they've met up. You know, October for the first one, and uh, just at the tail end of November, and it has to be a rare occasion under John Cook that Nebraska has lost two matches to the same team in the same season without winning a single set. That, yeah, and for them, that's probably really frustrating. Um, but I know when I saw the draw that we were in the same bracket as them, I wished it was later. You know, I, I still think it, it's got to happen. Obviously, we've got to beat Wisconsin um, unless they truly were on the other side. But, um, of course, Coach Cook would correct us right now, and he'd say we don't look past Ball State. We don't look past probably Missouri in the second round. But, um, you know, if – if they get to Wisconsin, because, you know, Wisconsin will probably beat Illinois State. They'll probably beat UCLA. They'll probably beat Texas A&M, maybe Rice. Anyways, 
the thing I've seen with Wisconsin, they've lost a lot of games this year for a team that is as highly regarded as they are. Um, I think they are so talented. I don't, I don't think many people would argue that they are the most talented team in the country. Middle blocker playing on the Olympic team, top tier setter, top tier, every situation on their court is top tier. And I think the thing they run into and why they've lost some of these matches, Ohio State is where I started thinking this way, is they don't adjust well. If we are Kentucky and we're losing a match, we have to figure out how to win. We have to go into the locker room, figure out what can we do to disrupt this other team. But Wisconsin doesn't have to do that very often. And when they do, I think they've lost. So no doubt. Nebraska coaches have watched a ton of film and, and tried to figure out even deeper than what I'm talking about. But I think if you figure out how your team can beat Wisconsin in enough ways, maybe two or three facets of the game, then you've got a shot because I don't think they adjust as well as some other teams do. Fix your service errors and use that slide. Well, those things too, yes. That's what I'm saying will be Wisconsin. I don't know shit about volleyball. You know, it sounds good. Okay, so Big Ten teams are announced. You got Lauren Stiverens, Nicklin Haynes, Lexi Sun all on the first team, and Maddie uh, Kubik makes freshman of the year. That's pretty good. I thought that was big news because there's a lot of good freshmen every year in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I thought they might give it to um, – Wisconsin's freshman in the middle, Danielle Hart. She's been excellent all year. Um, Northwestern had a freshman, um, Tammy. Uh, Thomas Elaria. Yes. Lara. Yeah, she was, I mean, she's out of this world. I, I fear her in the future. She's she's amazing. Um, so I think that is big news, that they voted um, Cubic, the freshman of the year, um, you know, speaks to the load that she's been carrying the amount of, um, sets and defense and playing time. And, and then what she's done with that, that she has been a player that has won matches and, um, that Nebraska has leaned on to win. So, um, I think that is, is all good news. Um, and you want your freshmen, I think, to be confident going into their first NCAA tournament. I, I don't think that coaches, beaten down her ego at all. I think that's probably something that um, he's probably, Coach Cook is probably happy about his two freshmen on the court um, being named to the freshman team and then Cubic being the freshman of the year. Yeah. Kenzie Knuckles is on the all-freshman team. A and libero? I, she's the libero, yeah. And that definitely it was an earned um honor for her as well. She has shouldered the load and really stabilized the server receive. I know a lot of us as fans and um, people writing about it are saying the server receive for Nebraska, but I had concerns about the server receive at the start of the season. There was, there was a lot of inconsistency and I think that it's been stabilized. We still have errors and those still could get better, but I, I don't, I don't fear server receive for Nebraska anymore. We don't, we don't miss a ton of passes, and we're getting served at by some of the top servers in the country. They're, I mean, they are statistically, and when they show you that end-lined view, you're watching the serve come at you, and you watch the amount of movement on it, the knuckleballs that are coming at them, the top spins. Um, we have a stable serve receive. It's not a great serve receive, but it's stable, and I think that's been a, a main focus for the team this year. So we're watching a match, and I uh, hate to pick on one player, but Lexi Sun is committing four service errors in a set. It's because she's serving extremely – she's serving aggressively, isn't it? It is. So one of Lexi's um, signature serves this year is she'll stand on the far left-hand side of the court, and she will serve directly down the line. And that is a very hard serve to do. You know, if you asked me to do it today, I'd get – two out of 10, maybe. Um, and I played volleyball, right? So Lexi is serving, and so are all the other players, but Lexi is serving that serve most for her, right? If a team scouts her, they know Lexi's going to serve down that left-hand sideline, right at that line, and that serve receiver has to make a decision. Um, and most often, most often they're in. Um, 
So I don't, I don't think Coach Cook is going back into the locker room and, and telling her she has to do better at serving. I think he's telling her, um, she has to improve her, um, routine. She has to improve her mindset, but I don't think he's telling her to stop making that serve because it's a really tough serve that works 80%, but you really need it to be more like 90% of the time. Greg, you're doing great. <laughs> and the only reason I said it is because I've been woefully behind on, on, uh, on keeping up and uh, I've been following Husker volleyball at a, at a long distance this season. And usually it, it's about now where I start paying it more attention, but by God, this was important. We had to get Beth on to talk and get, get caught up because postseason is here. Uh, it is, you know, it, as you mentioned, 39 years uh, for the NCAA volleyball tournament, and this is Nebraska's 38th straight appearance. I just got to ask you, what happened in year one? <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to ask Terry Pettit. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a limited number in that first well, year. Let, let's let's be honest. We know exactly what happened in year one. <laughs> The West Coast controlled volleyball, and they looked out there and they went, what the hell is a Nebraska? Does that exist? What country is Nebraska in? And they just said, well, they're not going to come to our tournament. That's how the the volleyball began. What was the first non-West Coast championship? It wasn't at Penn State in Nebraska when we were still in the Big 12? Yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And it shocked everybody because, oh, my God, no Pac-12 team is in this. Hawaii's not in it. <laughs> Screw those people. Well, I think the one player that, um, you know, if we talk about the conference um, awards that didn't get an award was Jazz Sweet, um, that most Nebraska fans would say is always pretty critical to the wins. So I, I don't know her mentality or any of um, – the team's mentality for that stuff, but I would bet a lot of the looks around the locker room were, "What about Jazz Sweet? Why, you know, at least second team for her." Um, I thought she's. I think she's had a solid season. I think she's played the role that she's supposed to play. She gets kills. She makes big blocks. She's a consistent player. Um, uh, you know, you can't put everybody on the conference, uh, all conference teams, but. That stood out to me that Jazz wasn't on any of those teams and, and perhaps should have been. I don't know who you take off, but and, um, and I was gonna, you know, ask ask you about Jazz because as I said, being a tangential Husker volleyball fan, you know, a, a, a observer more than anything. But she was, you know, as a junior, she's a name that you know, even, even you know, ignorant in, individuals like myself uh, still recognize that name. Yes, it's a unique name. Not too many jazzes out there. Um, but you know, it's, it's, we've heard of her. We've heard her contributions for a couple of years now. Uh, but it, it seems like she's, you know, had that effective and important, but also a little bit quieter season as well, you know? Yeah. I, I consider what jazz's role on the team is, is to be that outlet, to be the set that, uh, Nicklin can make when she's a little bit off the net, but if she puts it close enough, Jazz can get a kill off of it. And then her second um, priority is uh, blocking, that she has to be um, a consistent, large block in front of their strongest hitters. Most teams, left side hitter is their strongest hitter, and um, Nicklin is undersized as a blocker, so when she's in front in that same position that Jazz takes up, um, when Jazz is in front, she has to be that big person. And a lot of times she'll catch hitters off guard. It happened a couple of times in Wisconsin's match. Their left side hitter thought it was Nicklin in front of them, and it was Jazz. And oops, you're just blocked because you, you hit the wrong ball and it was stuffed back in your face. So that's Jazz's job, to, to stuff balls back in people's face. And I think she's done that. I don't think there's anything... Um, maybe more kill, kills. Coach would ask more kills from her. But I think she's done all the things that the team has asked of her. My only uh, guess is that folks thought her trajectory was going to go higher. 
when they first saw her as a freshman, she was phenomenal. And they thought she was going to um, race higher to the top and be a more pivotal player in Nebraska's future. But I think she's played the role and done the job that I think Coach Cook has asked of her. Well, I there was another question that was right on, on the forefront of my mind. And wouldn't you know, it disappeared as many questions. Oh, uh, speaking of jazz, like you said, almost feeling snubbed. Uh, you know, by not being on any of the Big Ten, uh, you know, uh, you know, all Big Ten teams, it, put yourself, I guess, in her position or her mentality, her frame of mind. I almost feel like that's going to really uh, encourage, motivate her uh, I, for, for the postseason, and, and you know, let her show them why she should have been selected. Yeah, I agree. And, and and you hope as a player, as a coach, that that's exactly what happens, is that you can take anything, a good or a bad, and you can turn it into some fire, and that she says, okay, let me show you what kind of player I am and what kind of player you think is in an all-conference Big Ten player, because this is what I can do. And you hope that they can take that and, and turn it into a, uh, a motivator for them and whatever they need. Um, and maybe... Maybe that was easy for her. She just said, uh, well, that stuff doesn't matter anyways. Or, But um, if it did matter and if it was a point of conversation, I, I would think she's a mentally tough enough person that she turns it into a, a fire-up sort of speech to herself before they go out on the court. And they play against a lot of Wisconsin players that were on the all-conference team as well. And um, if she wants to block a few of them just to remind them, that will be fine by me too. Let, let me ask you more. I, I don't know if administrative is the right word, but with Nebraska hosting, uh, you know, this weekend, uh, obviously, you know, tonight, as we mentioned, Northern Iowa versus Missouri kicks things off at four thirty, and then at seven o'clock, Nebraska versus Ball State, first round of the NCAA uh, volleyball tournament. If fans were going to go check out that Nebraska Ball State match. Are they going to get the regular or Nebraska home game, home match experience? Or, or because it's postseason, do they have to kind of tone down some of those? I, I don't want to call them antics, but you know what I mean? Like tone, tone down, like turning the lights down and, and getting, you know, all the smartphone devices on. Do, are they allowed to do that in, in post, uh, postseason play or do they have to kind of uh, nip that in the bud? I think they'll still be able to do all their, um, home, routines. I know the NCAA starts to um, do contracts with um, TVs and when this one will be broadcast and when that one will be. But I would expect the Devaney Center to be what it normally is. And that's one of the reasons that you want to be a top seed is because you're at home. These top 16 teams are um, are playing at home and that's what they've earned by having the seasons that they had. So yeah, if you're going to the Devaney Center this weekend, I would expect it to be what you've seen all season long, which is fired up. And if you can't make it to uh, the Devaney, at least, you know, Friday night, you can watch it on NET as well as BTN Plus for free. Uh, so fire up your BTN Plus app. I actually was just uh, at Huskers.com on the volleyball schedule, clicked where it says NET slash BTN free. It took me right to the BTN Plus page. Uh, with you know the time slotted for that uh, match between Nebraska and Ball State, so uh, of course you can also listen on the Husker Radio network and at, you know tune in app things like that. So lots of ways to follow along, lots of ways to uh, continue to follow uh, this Husker volleyball program. It's uh, it, it's our pride and joy. We're a volleyball state, Beth, and uh, and and uh, they're. If they can't win it, we're in trouble. I know I moved to Nebraska for some reason. Now it's all becoming clear to me. A volleyball <laughs> state is music to my ears. John? I'll be at the Minnesota games this weekend. You're dead to me. With a camera. You're dead to me. I bet you're going to be there. <laughs> I bet you're going to be there holding the hand of your rotten son, aren't you? You're like, come on, rotten oh, God, son. No. Come on, you know RS. Let's, let's have I some father-son the, I, bonding time in Minnesota. There's no bonding time, okay? <laughs> I went to the Minnesota-Nebraska game and shot that game, 
And I literally was walking around with my camera and I standing in front of the student section, literally two feet in front of him. And he said nothing to me. His girlfriend finally reached out and tapped me on the arm. Well, at least she likes you. I turned around and I said, hey, you guys. And, and I I looked at him and I said, you're not going to say anything to me? And he just looked away. His father embarrasses him in public. He wants nothing to do with me in public. Wait, how old is Rotten Son? I don't know. He's like a junior in college now. 20. Mm-hmm. He'll be 21 in a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's still at that age where, you know, he's embarrassed by you. But by God, he, he's your son. You're supposed to embarrass him. I can't wait till my son's old enough to feel embarrassed, but he's going to turn four this month, and so he doesn't know what embarrassment is. Well, it'll be a while. Yeah, it won't be that long. Your wife, on the other hand, it's too late for that. Yeah, no, but poor her, right? Um, right. Anything else? I, I think we've we've covered it all. Beth, you, thanks for hanging out with us. I know you're uh, an hour behind. What What's the past feel like? Uh, it's late. It's I mean, we're, I'm I'm in Michigan. I'm late here right you, now. I, I thought you were in. I normally visiting I'm, I'm visiting oh. family. Right I'm so confusing to you. I'm normally in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Today I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, visiting family. No, so so you could have when I told you, hey, we're gonna be you know looking at about eight o'clock Mountain Time. You could have said, okay, that's great, but I'll be in. Michigan, so it's ten o'clock. I apologize. I didn't mean to keep you. I'm so sorry. You know, I've been in the army a long time. <laughs> I don't complain about things. <laughs> I don't ask questions. I'm happy to do it. It's talking volleyball. No sorries. Well, we appreciate you staying up late. Uh, hopefully, uh, your your family understands and and you don't have to apologize too much. But I've always found that if you do have to apologize, apologize with beer. It makes life better. I'll hand my mom a beer. I'll see what she says. I, I mean, I don't know your, your mom. It, that might work well. Uh, so that, that is a, that is it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast, Corn Nation's number one podcast for all things Nebraska athletics. For myself, Greg Mahashko, for Haas Reuter, who uh, was with us earlier, for John Dam Johnston, and for Beth Merrigan, we thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us uh, on I, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and that's it. Uh, we remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. John? Go Big Red! And Beth? Go Big Red. All right, I'll say it. And win, since volleyball, so win the damn match. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.